Whistleblower Report, exposing lies, deceptions, and all that has assaulted our way of life. We must take back our freedom and live as God designed in a free America that honors our Constitution and our Creator. Our experts in medicine, ministry, law, military, environment, and education empower us to grow together as a nation. such a time as this, the Whistleblower Report offers truth and solutions. Welcome today. I'm Mike Gary, your host for the Whistleblower Report, and this is going to be another military segment. I'm here today with my guest. He is Tech Sergeant Sam Cook. And again, He's in a rank dispute because of the mandates that have affected so many of us. But uh, our guest, Sam, is uh, in the process of retiring, and he will update you exactly where he's at with that. But he's an Air Force reservist with over 22 years of service. Um, The first 10 years as a C-130 turboprop mechanic, and then later... 12 plus years as a chaplain assistant. And I'll let him go into his uh, biography a little more in a second. Now, I want to thank all the Truth for Health Foundation donors that have helped uh, with the legal recipients and um, with your funds. We really appreciate it. We've put it to the best use that we can, uh, supporting this fight for the First Amendment and, uh, and for America's service members that have made a mighty stand for their religious beliefs and their First Amendment rights. So before we get started here today, I just want to put out a disclaimer uh, for Sam and myself. Uh, neither one of us are represent- acting as representatives of the Department of Defense today. We're speaking as free men, sharing our own thoughts and our own opinions, and sharing our experiences. So um, the today is going to be a very interesting show because it kind of leaves off on the show, the military segment that I last did with uh, two other friends when we discussed the masks. We've got two pieces here. Sam is going to cover uh, his experience at the, the VA. So that's one side of this, Veterans Affairs. And then uh, the other side is masks. So when you put these two things together, you're just asking for trouble in today's COVID world. And these don't lead to any good results for anybody. And Sam is going to cover that uh, this first half in in a very detailed way. But for those out there who listened to the show uh, recently that I did on masks, we know that there's a lot of uh, studies coming out now, 2,168 to be exact, that are telling us now that the masks have done disastrous uh, adverse events to people, especially children who are developing. So, you know, it's just funny how uh, people are still stuck on this. For example... The VA is still stuck on their mandates, and it's going to be kind of funny what Sam reveals as we go on and talk about this. But also, I've recently pulled an article from the Epoch Times, which we'll talk about in the second half, uh, discussing how the VA 
is having a hard time letting go of these mandates. They were also the first government agency to actually adopt most of these mandates, especially uh, the COVID vaccine, so-called vaccine gene therapy. So this should be a very productive show and continue to drive uh, the nail in the coffin on these masks and expose things and uh, the ridiculousness that everybody knows at this point. Everybody knows that masks are ridiculous as the ones that they have you wear, the standard surgical mask, the EUA product, emergency use authorization product, which uh, specifically says on most of these boxes, not for medical use, right? Yet, we do know that they do detrimental uh, health effects by restricting uh, your breathing and getting rid of uh, carbon dioxide and inhibiting your oxygen uptake. So that is one thing they're good at. However, they're not good at stopping particulates or viruses, bacterias. Okay, so this should be pretty interesting and fun. Um, so, Sam, could you give the audience a brief uh, bio of yourself and make sure you do cover, uh, you know, your personal side as well? Uh, you also have a civilian background or have at in the past, and then and also, if you don't mind, let us know uh, the makeup of your family if you if you can. Okay, Sam, go ahead. Let sure. the listeners know who you are. Okay, absolutely. Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Um, I would say it's my pleasure. My only pleasure here is helping get the word out. It's been a pretty frustrating journey, as I'm sure many share that. But uh, a little bit more about me, um, what you've mentioned is spot on. Um, I'm in the transition of retirement, uh, kind of the mixed, the mixed bag. They wanted me to voluntarily retire when I I wouldn't accept the gene therapy. Um, I, thanks to many litigation efforts, have been able to avoid that. But then I, from for multiple reasons, went ahead and requested retirement later on. Um, so that's uh, scheduled for later this year. But at the same time, I have medical issues I'm working through. Um, hence why I go to the VA um, as a reservist. I uh, get to do that uh, while I'm not in military status. But um, so I... Um, I, I am now entered into MEB uh, with the Air Force, so I don't know at this point uh, whether I'll medically retire or or transfer to the retired reserve. Um, civilian background, um, so parallel to my military journey, I was able to make use of some of those educational benefits. That's not the entire reason I joined, but one of them, um, and been able to uh, get my engineering degree along the way. Um, and I currently find myself the last five years working uh, for the Boeing company and, and their defense division, uh, working ICBM, the Miniman 3 uh, missile system and guidance repair. So I'm a repair engineer um, in that world. Um, we had masking and, and shop mandates come along the way uh, there as well. Um, family, I'm married. Uh, almost 20 years uh, this December, coming up on 20 years. Uh, and then we have four kids, at least, uh, that are with us here on Earth. We lost a, a few through miscarriage along the way, but, uh, yeah, very blessed um, and yeah, happy to be here. Thank you, Mike. Well, that's that's awesome, Sam. Sounds like you and I have a very similar background. I also have four children and have, have been, will be married 20 years this coming August. <laughs> 
All right. Congratulations. We have experienced uh, miscarriages as well. So uh, congratulations for the the good family that you have. And uh, sorry to hear it on the the children that, uh, you know, the Lord took early. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. So I would say between us, Sam, that we have almost 50 years of experience and certainly uh, mechanic on some of the most expensive equipment the military has. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, so uh, looking at uh, your time as a chaplain's assistant, uh, did you, so was that the last thing you did or was it mechanic the last thing? No, uh, chaplain assistant is my current AFSC, my current Air Force career field. Um, yeah, the, the maintenance life uh, was, it feels like a prior life uh, when I was in the Air National Guard. Um, before I, I cross-trained, uh, was wrestling with uh, ministry calling, uh, seminary type of things. I was uh, willing at that point to meet God at chaplain assistance, if you will. Um, that's a whole other deep dive. But um, so, yeah, last 12 years have been a chaplain assistant in the Air Force Reserve. The, the career field has gone through some identity crisis as far as naming convention. It's religious affairs now, but um, it's the same work of a lot of First Amendment right the defense and a lot of fill in the gap um, between where different chaplains and their endorsements um, say they can or can't do certain things. And um, chaplain assistants don't have all the protections that chaplains have to that regard. But um, anyway, yeah, that's what I found myself still doing uh, when the, the mandates came along and uh, after months and months of things happening, uh, yeah, I feel like that was the most meaningful ministry that I was able to provide uh, was during the, during the mass, or sorry, the, the vaccine mandate or the gene therapy mandate uh, uh, process. Um, so yeah, what a journey. Well, uh, this is a, a question that I got for you because I bet uh I bet you find yourself in the chaplain realm or chaplain assistant realm of uh, jobs. Were you the only one to hold out against this? Uh, no. Uh, so, I mean, there were there were many uh, chaplains, uh, very few. Actually, I don't know of any other uh, religious affairs or chaplain assistant, uh, at least on the Air Force side. Uh, they had held out. There were many reservations, many concerns, but due to many circumstances, um, many others uh, went ahead and 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 took the the shots. Um, and I, it's, it was so high pressure, so convoluted. I I mean, I will admit, I was I started the whole process pondering, well, what is mRNA, and which one am I going to get? That's where I started. Uh, my shot list is long. I had no idea. Things like anthrax I had received before um, were uh, were fraught with uh, legal and medical concerns. Um, I mean, that's again a whole other deep dive with anthrax. I didn't discover until uh, the COVID journey um, what I went through with anthrax, uh, and that's again that's a whole other deep dive of medical issues. Like, huh, what I'm just discovering right now some things that could very well be uh, anthrax related in my own journey, but. Um, no, there there were a number of chaplains um, actually at the, the base that I'm assigned to. Um, not not all, not the majority, um, but a number of them um, found a path to uh, that, that they could leverage their career 
um, and uh, chose not to uh, get the shots. Um, it didn't help any of us in our careers, for sure. Uh, that's, again, another cave of uh, discussion. But, um, yeah, thankfully, uh, many many of the uh, chaplains specifically, I was the only, like I said, rel- only religious affairs airman that I'm aware of that uh, uh, that opted not to receive COVID shots. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's very isolating. Once you become the only one of anything, it's, uh, once you, you, once you're that guy, then they all come after you. But for the ones that did cave, uh, quickly, I don't want to stay long on this, but, uh, are you starting to see a moral injury develop in the people that caved and possibly violated their integrity? Um, yes. Uh, it's, I mean, it's a, a, Qualitative, yes, in that uh, there just there's so many layers of factors. I mean, I certainly don't blame anybody, and it's uh, but I do see regret, hesitation, the I wish I would have known, uh, the I had no ideas, uh, and and understandably so. I mean, nothing was forthright. The only thing that was forthright was I'm receiving a written order to receive a medical product. Okay, I had 20 years in by that point. That is the first military order I have ever received to participate in anything medical. Um, typically, it just showed up in the IMR list as this is a requirement and you, you get it within the window. Um, have If you have questions, bring them up. But anyway, so yeah, there lots, uh, lots of folks, I mean, even within our own staff to the religious affairs folks who were uh, trapped in deployment and it was leveraged as if you want to uh, redeploy back home on time, uh, then you'll get this. Um, and if you don't, well, then you'll quarantine for seemingly endless cycles of quarantine here. We'll move you again, quarantine there, multiple quarantines. And so out of that kind of mounted pressure, uh, a number of folks I talked with, that was the point of like, look, I it's been months. I want to see my family. Fine, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, moral injury is certainly a, a deep topic, and I think it's widespread. I was able to talk um, fairly um, openly uh, with some commanders, um, including in my own chain, um, and they offline uh, regretted that this was happening. Um, yet where they found themselves, they, they saw no other option than to continue uh, what they're held to account to. So I'm not justifying, but I'm just relaying that uh, the moral injury certainly is happening, even with those who continue to preach the message, they feel conflicted, many, not all. Um, so yeah, multifaceted, yes, uh, I, I saw quite a few different aspects of moral injury. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very sad and it's an extremely awkward time right now for the listeners out there where, uh, you know, the Congress actually made the military have to rescind uh, the specifically the so-called vaccine mandate, the gene therapy mandate. And now we're in this awkward situation. It's different for all the branches of service right now in the branch of service that I can see, which is the National Guard. Uh, they haven't, they know they got to uh, pull back some of the letters of reprimand, which we call gomers in the army, uh, general officer memorandum of record. Uh, of reprimand, excuse me. So they, they're in the process of figuring out how they're going to do that. And the few people that have come back when they ask them to come back 
uh, the few people that have, they're going to they're going to lose interest in the bureaucracy. It's going to take so long to figure out how to do this. They're going to leave. That's what's going to happen. Not sure where it stands with the Air Force, you know, the Marines, Navy and the rest. We don't need to beat that horse. It is extremely sad to see where we're at and people know what they did was the wrong thing. And the thing is, is they had the law to to go along with standing up we all did and right. it's it's sad to see there was only a few of us that actually stood with the law but uh, on a different note here sam i want to get into your uh recent story with the va as as now you're discovering maybe you have some adverse events uh from the anthrax shot possibly or other things that you encountered in your military service could you tell us about your experience in 2022 in the va clinic sure uh so uh, i mean my journey with the va goes back uh multiple years before that and into the beginning of covid so masking just seemed to be the thing that everybody was doing didn't know anything about eua's Really, so, but uh, to get to the 2022 uh, point uh, of interest, if you will, was I had had finally discovered. <laughs> I was slow, slow to the understanding that um, that masking uh, was under emergency use authorization. That there uh, were and still are not um, any FDA licensed or approved, if you will, that generic term. Um, masks uh for for COVID-19. Um yet there were there were mandated uh the wear, the if you will, the uh, administration of the mask as a medical device it was still required. So um I still had a cloth mask. Um I <laughs> kind of came to the point that I wasn't wearing it uh them anymore uh through the journey of discovery over over the time. But um when I went to the uh, the VA um, in Columbus, Ohio, um, where I typically get my specialty medical care. Um, I had a procedure scheduled that day um, that needed to happen, and I was um, I, I was pretty confident I was going to be met at the door, as had been happening for the last year plus uh, with the armed uh, VA police officers, uh, which. Okay, no big deal, but uh, that's typical for a security screen, I guess. But um, they uh, that day were holding the boxes of masks, the the disposable type, um, and were essentially issuing them. They were pulling them out um, or having uh, patients as they come in or visitors uh, pull a mask. Um, and when I, uh, I had donned my my cloth mask because I just really wasn't in the mood for the conversation that day um, was I just I'm here for my appointment it needs to happen um, and they they actually stopped me and said no I, my cloth mask I uh, wasn't going to do uh, that I needed to wear uh, one of their masks um, I paused um, kind of engaged a little bit in conversation of like well why can't I just wear my mask it's here at the cloth you can inspect it uh, don't even agree with the masking mandate date but that's a whole other you know topic for a different day wrong audience I just don't want the scene you know I think there was if I remember right seven armed VA police officers it's like this is just not the you don't want to be confrontational uh, ever <laughs> so with the uh, people with guns so um, it the they said no I, I had to wear the mask um so they gave me three options i could uh, uh just uh 
put my mask in my pocket and put on the plastic mask that they were issuing, um, or I could uh, put their mask on and my mask, be double masked, um, or I could turn around and leave the building. That it was a violation of VA policy to enter the premises uh, without their mask, uh, which is that added nuance that I just wasn't ready for that day. So that's what I was presented with. Um, as I mentioned, it was a procedure that I, I needed to I needed to go on with. Uh, so I was frustrated. I just went ahead and took them up on the, well, I'll put their plastic mask that I knew at that point. I had some inhalation risk due to some of these studies indicating I don't want microplastics in my lungs um, and other things. So I, I, I put their mask over top of my cloth mask. Uh, that was a decent amount of air resistance, uh, but they didn't care. <laughs> Um, I checked the box. Apparently, I could come in. Uh, so I proceeded on to my appointment. Um, and in the procedure, um, they let me know this is actually going to be a couple hours long, a lot of poking and prodding um, from the, the neck on down to, to both of my hands, uh, doing a lot of like um, uh, neurostimulation. And um, this is fairly intense. I, I thought I'd been through this a couple of times, but here this was the more advanced level I hadn't been through. Anyway, long story short, um, during the procedure, um, I don't know where I am with pain tolerance. I'm sure my wife has me beat with having children, no competition there, but um, I was like, look, I'm, I'll keep trucking through. You, you know, this hurts, but uh, just, just got to get done. So I just felt myself getting pretty lightheaded. Uh, breathing through both of those masks, and apparently uh, they noticed that um, they and I, I didn't say anything, but they invited me to to lower my masks. And there's two doctors; uh, they're right there doing the procedure. Um, like, okay, just in my head, I'm thinking, well, thank you, um, but why? Like, why would I be required to wear both of these things all the way through this building? And then here I am in close quarters uh, with two people that the premises to protect, which it's a whole other topic. Um, but they're inviting me, you know, drop them off the mask. Okay. So I did. Um, and I started to pull them back up when I thought I was okay. And they invited me, no, just keep them down. Okay. So that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, I did bring up kind of the, my concern with the legality of let mask mandate, didn't really get into the medical debate with the doctors. They, both of them were not interested in, in having the, the conversation. Uh, they just also wanted the procedure to, to be done <laughs> and, we, and we all just move on. So that's what happened uh, on that day. Well, that's very interesting, Sam. <clears throat> it's interesting uh, that they recognize uh, that you were nearly uh, about to pass out, right? Because of the oxygen restriction. And, uh, it's, uh, it's funny that right now where we stand, we've got all these, all this information and studies coming out showing that, uh, there's a new syndrome, mice, mask induced exhaustion syndrome. Right. And, and this is coming out and being talked about more and more, uh, in the alternative media, I'm sure it'll eventually hit the the mainstream media when they absolutely have to talk about it. But it's showing that there's there's quite a bit of devastation that has happened. Um, I know I mentioned this last time on the last show that I did um, talking about uh, masks with John and Mark, and I had taken a 
uh, five gas meter. And uh, one of those sensors uh, detects for oxygen. And so you, you would, before you enter a confined space, you would check the oxygen level in that confined space. And there's OSHA regulations, you know, written for confined spaces because quite often confined spaces have dangerous gases. And uh, that would be the canary in the coal mine. You send the bird in, if the bird dies or doesn't come back out, you assume poisonous gases. Well, this is what this detector does. I put that under several different masks on my face. The, the skinniest one or the thinnest one being the, surger, the surgical mask, EUA product, we discovered uh, that uh, uh, oxygen would go down to 18%. And the OSHA limit is nothing below 19.5% or it's IDLH, immediately deadly, uh, dangerous to life and health, okay? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to reinforce... Um, what Sam was actually experiencing in those chairs and the doctors actually know too. It's just funny, the hypocrisy and the ridiculousness we put up with uh, just to follow these rules. Once we get beyond this time, everybody's going to realize that this was so stupid and yet it's so destructive because people have lost their livelihoods over it. Some have lost their lives over it. So anyway, we're going to talk more after the break <clears throat> about Sam's situation, <clears throat> but we'll also discuss this article that I got after the break that I found in Epoch Times about the VA and get his reaction to that and um, and what uh, I'd like to say before we go to the break here is uh, I want you to go to our website, www.truthforhealth.org. That's truth. Forhealth.org, and you need to go there and check out some of the products we got there. We got COVID treatment guides, we got COVID vaccine injury treatment guides, and we got a Marburg uh, pamphlet there for you because they're trying to gin up the next fear pandemic. Which you know, right now we want to keep everybody calm. If it's going to be Marburg, we've got a, a guide to help yourself. Uh, get over the fear on that and kind of uh, research and study up on that. Okay. So we've got a lot of things at the www.truthforhealth.org. Go there and check it out. And we'll be right back. The family of Juliana Parker would sincerely like to thank the Truth for Health Foundation. Without their help and support, we never could have gotten our mother out of the hospital and into our home so that we could be with her for the last week of her life. They gave us the strength, the courage, the knowledge, the list of things that we needed to do in order to prepare for that. And they were there at a critical moment when it came to moving her out. Welcome back to the second half of our show here. The whistleblower report, the military segment for the truth for health foundation. I want to put in a plug for our donors. We really appreciate your funds that you've given us. We put them to good use. We've supported many people in legal battles, especially uh, folks in the military that have stood up for our First Amendment rights and for their religious freedom. So we thank you for donating to us. And we and we pray um, that there's more and more people out there that it's put, put on their heart to uh, support our fight in uh, across the nation here. So um, 
Also, www.truthforhealth.org. Join our crusade. We are silent no more. Sign up for our email alerts and check out our resources that we provide for medical advice. And I've mentioned those before the break, and we'll hit it one more time before we end. So as we get into the second half here, I wanted to read this interesting article that came out in the Epoch Times, and it's called major U.S. agency to keep COVID-19 vaccine mandate despite White House announcement, okay? And it's written, um, it's dated May 2nd, 2023, and it's written by Zachary Stiber. And uh, it says, Department of Veterans Affairs is retaining its mandate Secretary Dennis McDonough said in his message to employees reviewed by the Epoch Times, the White House announcement that many mandates are ending will not impact the VA, McDonough said, to ensure the safety of veterans and our colleagues. VA healthcare personnel will still be required to be vaccinated at this time, he told workers. As we transition to this new phase of our response to the pandemic, the vaccine, including booster shots, remains the best way to protect you, your families, your colleagues, and veterans uh, from COVID-19. A VA spokesman declined to provide any data uh, consulted when choosing uh, to keep the mandate in place. The VA's website claims that vaccines help protect you from getting severe illness and offer good protection against most COVID-19 variants, pointing in part to observe observational data from the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention that indicate the vaccines provide uh, poor <laughs> or protection against symptomatic infection and transient shielding against hospitalization. No clinical trial efficacy data has been made public for updated shots for Moderna and Pfizer. None of the vaccines prevent infection or transmission. And we know uh, the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, has just decided to resign. And she also admitted uh, under oath that... Uh, the vaccinated do spread this. So finally, we get uh, we get validated for that. It, it continues on saying the VA is the second largest uh, federal agency employing nearly 400,000 people. The VA was the first U.S. agency to mandate vaccination for its workers. OK, and that happened. Uh, let's see what it says here. We're mandating, this is back on July 26, 2021, we're mandating vaccine for Title 38 employees because it's the best way to keep veterans safe, especially as the Delta variant spreads across the country, McDonough uh, said at the time. And that was 26 July, 2021, when he said that. Okay. There was a little more here that I wanted to point out in this article. It's at the tail end of it. It says critics decried statements from White House officials regarding the lifting of the mandates. Uh, Quote, they're patting themselves on the back for unnecessarily coercing people to get a medical product they may not have wanted or stood to benefit from. It didn't even protect others. 
Dr. Tracy Hogue, a U.S. epidemiologist, said on Twitter, more than 270 million people in the United States, or just over 81% of the population, have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine, according to the CDC. Uh, but booster uptake has been low, thank God, as has received vaccines among children. Thank God for that, too. The last population from whom vaccines were authorized. Okay, so from this, uh, it says 270 million people uh are projected to have received this thing. We know that the CDC doesn't track numbers very well. Uh, we know that every time somebody forgot their vaccine card and had to needed a new one to get their current booster, uh, that they counted that as another new person. So there's a lot of problem with some of the numbers in there. But I find it interesting that the VA is trying to hang on uh, to all these mandates and you know their leader, McDonough, stated that this is the best way to to protect our people while at the same time you've got studies coming out saying that we have mice mask induced exhaustion syndrome right from not uh, people not breathing enough oxygen in i mean people with common sense knew this right from the beginning but we actually got studies coming out just destroying this mindset some people are really stuck on this Sam, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, react to that um, article that I just read and uh, see if it shares any similarities to what you um, what you uh, came across when you had that appointment. Go ahead. Well, I I hadn't uh, read that article. Um, It is it's it's an interesting uh, and also frustrating, especially uh, based on what I experienced firsthand. Um, being directed to essentially double mask um, was the only the only way forward. Uh, besides wearing just the direct plastic um, without the cloth in between. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's very frustrating. Um, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a lawyer. Um, so much of this, I I feel um, like why why would it be someone like me? Um, or, you know, most laymen out there to highlight, this makes no sense. Um, and I, I want to believe still, I'm a little concerned of what background or what uh, possibly nefarious reasons there may be. I hope there aren't any, but I'm, I have concerns. I'm very, it's beyond frustrated. Um, I mean, as a veteran, um, especially a, a disabled rated veteran by the VA, uh, to have masking, which uh, clinically they should know better, um, is is not meaningful. And if anything, like you're pointing out, um, has detriment. There's more uh, detriment being pointed out, medical detriment being pointed out in studies than uh, any possible medical benefit. I mean, I won't even. Again, I'm not. A, I'm not a medical researcher. I don't know uh, firsthand. So I'm kind of at the mercy, to some degree, of what quote unquote experts are studying, what are they seeing? So, um, but yeah, having experienced what I did firsthand, um, I wasn't breathing well. Um, I, I passed out before. I know what that feels like, get the tunnel vision. I was getting close. Um, and they, as you mentioned, they, they were able to recognize that, but, um, I will say as a veteran, um, and in VA healthcare for a number of years now, um, that they were very, 
pushy, if you will, with the shot mandates. Uh, so they didn't mandate it for veterans per se, but obviously for employees they did. Uh, yet it continues to be this uh, beacon in my health record where they indicate I'm essentially a a bad veteran by having not got a, a COVID-19 shot. Um, so that continues to linger out there. So the masking, as I experienced, um, and then I'll, I guess I'll further add a more recent experience was uh, I was contacted by the VA, uh, same Columbus VA Healthcare Vism, uh, for a Gulf War registry, a medical exam. They finally got to me <laughs> after all these years. Uh, and they wanted an in-person exam. Like, okay, I'm, I'm open to an in-person exam, uh, but I did ask, well, what's the current masking policy? And immediately that uh, scheduler was frustrated with me for asking that question. Um, and they, uh, they said they're going to transfer me to the VA police. Like, oh, I've talked to them before last year. Um, and in that conversation with an officer, and uh, further, a the, the chief of police picked up the phone, um, hearing what was the conversation. They expressed frustration that the masking mandate was still there. They're wearing them every day. Um, I can't speak for all of them, but clearly many of them uh, don't think they should be. They don't want to be wearing them every day for probably many reasons. Um, and there was hope uh, that with the relief of the emergency declaration um, that there would be the finally a, a uh, reprieve from the masking mandate. Um, it's what, what you have just mentioned in that article leaves no, like the, the hope uh, seems to be dashed that that would be the case. So I don't know. I, many emotions, frustration is probably the, the leading one. Uh, how is this legal? I, don't, I argue it's not legal. It doesn't look legal. Maybe I'm missing something, but the VA has no appetite uh, to explain what their legal basis is. They'll cite CDC guidance. I've pulled up the CDC guidance, the enforcement policy for, for masks, um, quote unquote enforcement, but in our, every page it says contains non-binding recommendations. So it's so, so conflicting, um, so citing policy over here that seems a bit like smoke and mirrors uh, because it isn't anchored truly in federal law. Uh, but yeah, medical concerns, um, legal concerns, and just I feel as a veteran, um, not that as a disabled rated vet, I have any more rights or access to VA healthcare, but to be essentially positioned where it doesn't matter to the VA police or the administrators, uh, to uh, what um, the veteran is in need of healthcare-wise, it comes down to if you don't put on this emergency use authorized mask that's legally optional, yet the VA policy says you have to have it on, that they'll deny a veteran VA healthcare. And I don't think that's the intent uh, from Congress of how veterans are to be treated. I certainly would expect better as a taxpayer and a veteran. Okay, so right there, um, when when I did the show about a week ago, when we were talking about mass, uh, John and his wife, um, well, they actually pushed it to the point of getting refused care. And this is where they experienced success, because what they did is they brought the laws and, you know, the next time. They, so they refused care. 
And then the next time they brought the laws, but at the same time, they submitted complaints. Whatever the complaint chain is in the VA, this is where uh, success is possible. So you need to look into that, Sam. Um, you start you know, researching about how you submit a complaint around being refused care. And then at that time is where you actually present uh, the law. And, you know, where these masks, the standard surgical mask on the box of most of them say not for medical use, those ones, when you do that, uh, you present that law. And we were talking about it, Title 21, you know, 3TAC, whatever it is. I think you're familiar with it. Uh, present that as well as all the supporting um, documentation with that. And what it, wherever that complaint goes, that's where you start seeing success. And then, you know, you can, if, if they want to continue to be, uh, you know, ridiculous, uh, then, you know, you can start pursuing the legal side of, Hey, I showed you, I went through the complaint process, but the, uh, the couple I'm talking about, John and his wife, Judy, um, once they started the complaints, that's when the hospital realized, oh, we're going to have to actually follow the law. And those two were successful. Judy was pregnant at the time. That's why they pressed this so hard. And um, because she wasn't going to put a mask on and, uh, you know, limit her oxygen supply while she was pregnant, take, you know, taking care of a baby in the womb. And it was awesome that they did that. So they were actually refused care, pressed it. And they actually, um, I think it was about a month later, uh, the hospital, uh, well, no, maybe it's the next week for them, let them in without masks on. And everybody looked, they looked at them and like, oh, wow, how did those people get in without a mask? And then about approximately a month after that is when the hospital dropped it all together. So they were a big part in winning over for the employees of the hospital, like you experienced the police themselves uh, know that this is ridiculous and they want to take these things off. So, uh, you know, Sam, maybe that's something you look into. We certainly can uh, link up the uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures that John and his wife employed there specifically, if you ever want to go there. But for the audience out there, um, if you didn't hear that last story, that's a brief summary of how they were able to actually rescue, like rescue the employees of the hospital. It's so it's so funny. We're like in a Stockholm syndrome situation with everybody and their employers. You know, most of them are dropped off at this time, but we're we're talking about the last standouts. And it looks like the VA is actually going to take the trophy here and be the the final one holding all these mandates at the end where nobody nobody's going to like them, respect them or even want to work for them. My is my guess. But well, if I could add, um, I mean, there's many reasons to take action, different types of action to include legal or, you know, going to your congressional representatives. I feel to some degree my plate is pretty full with uh, multiple factors, especially with my my military uh, vaccine mandate journey uh, regarding litigation and congressional activity. But also another pivot that I, if I could share uh, with regards to the VA um, is um, there's you can also use their system. Um, many can, not all, 
Uh, in my case, access to care, as the VA calls it, um, is a is a qualifier potentially for uh, community care, uh, VA community care for a referral. Uh, so with multiple specialists, um, I started to um, ask for community care referrals from the VA. Uh, so the VA continued to fund my health care, but I was able to pick a civilian provider um, as I lived over 60 minutes away from uh, the, the specialty care provider and uh, from my primary care at my VA CBOC, the community-based clinic, um, I was able to get my primary care um, removed, uh, if you will, uh, referred out to a provider of choice. Um, and masking and shot positioning um, is certainly a screener I use at this point in selecting medical care. Uh, so my, for my family and I, we actually travel outside of the county that we're in uh, whenever possible uh, to a particular uh, medical group, civilian medical group, um, that is uh, more reasonable and more law-abiding uh, to this regard. Um, so people will vote, if you will, those who can. I understand not everyone can, um, but those who can can vote, if you will, with your your resources and, and get your medical care um, by choice at other locations. It might require you to, to drive a little bit. And, and this obviously shouldn't be happening, shouldn't have to do that. Um, but that's one of the one of the courses of action that we've taken, getting all the care out of the VA into community care referrals to those specialists. Yeah, that certainly does drive the point home that <laughs> you have to go through all these, jump through all these hoops to get the care you need because you can't get it at the places close because they, they refuse to. Right. Or, uh, or where Congress intended it to be, where it has been authorized and funded to be, but they want to expand uh, or in some cases want to expand the VA healthcare but at the same time will, um, will in effect remove veterans from that care by not participating in what should be optional. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So uh, for the audience out there, I haven't mentioned this before, but with uh, my position that I used to be in the weapons of mass destruction hazmat team, hazmat um, technicians are the masters of PPE, personal protective equipment. So that means respirators. Okay. So when um, events like these kick off, and uh, the last time before COVID pandemic kicked off was the Ebola scare we had in, I think it was 2013, 2014 timeframe. Um, always they ask for people, you know, the experts to check masks and do mask fitting procedures. Uh, so as a hazmat technician, uh, the team I worked for, we would go around and ensure everybody was you know, donning and doffing their their suits, meaning put on, take off their suits properly. Because who knows how to do this? The military does. The military does it step by step, right? So with masks, um, N95 mask, in order to be worn properly, it actually has to be fit tested. Okay, and that's a fit tested means uh, it's a test where you, you uh, hook up a machine and you see how well um, the inner pressure inside, uh, you know, between the face and the mask is holding against the outside pressure. 
So you're making sure that nothing uh, is actually coming in through in uh, that it's sealed around the face and there's different uh, there's different masks so I, I'm used to a gas mask but the N95 is more or less to check the seal around the face and make sure it's shaped properly gas mask you would actually check uh, uh, the resistance factor between the face and the mask and on, on the outside so anyway I just want to point out that the hospitals always run to the subject matter experts on PPE which is the hazmat guys all right. But for some reason, the medical side became the, you know, the subject matter experts. And uh, with that being said, uh, the nurses and doctors both times in, in the Ebola scare time that I mentioned and at the beginning of COVID, they're like, this is crazy. We know how to wear our own PPE. And then all of a sudden, you know, a few months in, they're wearing, you know, mask one mask two face shield uh double gloved all these things i've heard about uh situations in um you know the the maternity ward where they're performing uh you know c-section i've heard about all near catastrophes because the staff couldn't communicate they couldn't talk to each other because they had so much ppe on i don't know if many people have considered this but there's i've heard one story where they're not sure what happened to the wife if they actually had to revive her after the surgery because of, you know, a, a, you know, a mistake, an accident, because people weren't communicating with each other or so they could hear each other. So this is, uh, this is the ridiculousness around all this masking. Have, ha, has the audience out there considered this? You know, the doubling up and tripling up of all these uh, ridiculous uh, mask and shields, which were never intended to be worn together. You go to gas masks, then you go to encapsulation of suits. That's the proper PPE, which is called level A, level B, level C protection. Has the audience heard those terms? Level A protection, level B protection? No, we have doubled and tripled up on what is just a standard debris shield, which is all the uh, the the standard surgical mask is. And it was funny, I was, you know, there's a lot of talk about depleted uranium, but this Dr. Doug Roke, who used to be um, the government's depleted uranium uh, PhD um uh, subject matter expert when they had to clean up uh, the pollution around the de de depleted uranium rounds that were used. Okay, so there's no radiological concern here, but there is a heavy metal concern. And he was pointing out that the people that were cleaning up this mess around depleted uranium were wearing the standard surgical mask. He's like, that's not going to work. Those small particulates going to get through there. That, you know, a really, really fine, silty dust, small. That's not going to stop it. Just just like uh, drywallers. If you've ever seen drywallers, they typically use something more like a N95. But a standard surgical mask, you know, you'll see dust all over them. It gets right through. That's an easy, ex you know, experiment to see. But imagine it with a heavy metal. So, Anyway, we're getting close to the end. Sam, do you have any closing comments that you would like to give to the audience before we end today? Oh, I, I would say if you're not already 
um, connected. If you feel you're alone, um, as we had talked about in the beginning, um, about I, I, to my knowledge, I was the only um, religious affairs airman um, in the in the Air Force, at least at my unit, um, that uh, would that, re- that did not receive the COVID nineteen vaccine. Um, and if, you know, to that regard, there's an element of alone. Um, then as a reservist and away from the unit, um, it's, it's hard to, you feel like you're, you're facing these battles alone. And I think that's part of, um, I, I think it's got to be part of the compliance story of many is they um, feel unsupported and not sure um, about many things and proceed with what they're being told to do, even though it goes uh, against either some direct knowledge they have or some, they just feel it's wrong somehow. And like when it comes to like religious accommodations within the military, other contexts, um, it's some people have a hard time articulating a, you know, a religious doctrine, yet that's not even what the law is asking about. It's essentially if you can articulate uh, that something's wrong and you have a sincere sense that it's wrong. So, that that applies, and and so it's uh, the knowledge is power element, and community is powerful um, to to not fight the battle alone. Um, so if you're not already connected, um, there's, there's resources that I'm sure are available. Um, I know there's multiple uh, chat groups uh, that I've been able to connect through uh, that have been extremely extremely supportive and helpful. Um, and this is not fear mongering. This is not. You know, this concept of misinformation, disinformation, this is like data shared documents. Here's from the FDA, from the CDC. Here's a study. Here's this. Here's that. Uh, for, you can go validate it. So that's been very helpful um, as opposed to trying to do it alone. Um, so don't believe um, if you're being told uh, the lie that it's just you. It's your issue. Um, you should get with the program. Um, there's much to be concerned about here. Um, and yet we can go forward um, in faith. Um, at least that's part of my journey. Um, and my wife is way ahead of me on the spiritual end, <laughs> indicating like, here's just something wrong here. Uh, so um, you're not alone. And to, to reach out and connect with others um, going through the journey. Well, thank you, Sam. Those are very good words of advice. Connect in these difficult times, make sure you connect with other strong Christians. And if you're not a strong Christian, find one and, and uh, strengthen your belief in God. That's how we're going to pull through. And uh, Sam leads in very nicely to the truth for health uh, foundation is actually a great place to go and connect with others and actually see some of the products that we have there, like uh, COVID-19 treatment guides, uh, COVID-19 vaccine injury treatment guides and our Marburg uh, guide uh, pamphlet that will help uh, explain uh, that as that uh, builds in the media. Okay. So if you go to www.truthforhealth.org, join our crusade. We are silent no more. Sign up for our email alerts and check all our resources that we provide for medical advice to min- and to ministry help and constitutional right information. All right. This is Mike Gary for the Whistleblower Report military segment. See you next time.